everyone, welcome back to the Ball Girls. So today Jordan's a bit sick, so it's just me, but I am so honored to have Elise LaHue, who is the general manager of Sky Blue FC in the National Women's Soccer League joining me today. So Elise, thank you so much for being here with me. Thanks for having me, Haley. And I'm, uh, we're sending Jordan good wishes to get better. So yes. That's the worst. Maybe it's the changing of seasons or something. That's what I'm hoping for, but you never know in this day and age. So she's taking all the precautions necessary. So you'll just have to deal with me. I apologize. I feel like I can handle that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So my first question for you is just how you got into the role you have now at Sky Blue FC. Um, I'll, I'll do the truncated version instead of the long version. But, uh, you know, I started my career in, in women's pro soccer, actually, back in uh, the last pro league, which was WPS. I started in Chicago, um, just worked my way up. I was an intern, worked in ticket sales, sponsorship, player services, operations, kind of across the board. Um, got to really dip my toe into a lot of different areas and, um, you know, worked my way up pretty quickly into being a general manager. I got my first gig in 2011. I was actually out in Los Angeles with the men's USL pro team. It was the first year of USL pro definitely way in over my head. Um, it was a, it was a big gig. Um, Cali blues at the time was a phenomenal W league team and won many championships. That was part of the you know umbrella that I was overseeing. So it was a fantastic opportunity, very difficult way to start a journey as a general manager, but I learned so much from that experience, kind of a trial by fire situation. Um, and then was lucky enough to come back to the Chicago red stars. I knew they were looking to, um, restart a women's pro league, which then became NWSL. So I, I went back to Chicago. That was, uh, you know, the place I loved where I got my start and became the GM there and was a general manager for five years. Um, I took what I call my sabbatical year, went to the WNBA for a year, um, wanted to kind of learn from another environment, another city. And then I knew Denise Reddy, who was the head coach at Sky Blue. She had been asking me if I might come out to the team. And I said, no, absolutely not. Not going out there. I'm good. I'm out in Seattle. It's pretty here. Like, I like my view. It's all good. But uh, she was persistent. And so ended up making my way out to Sky Blue. I think I've, you know, always had a calling to be in women's soccer. So, um, and that was a pretty incredible journey. Um, I was kind of working behind the scenes um, in sort of a consulting role. And then um, the owner, Tammy Murphy um, was starting to make some changes at the club. They kind of went through a really tough spell and asked me if I would be the GM. And, you know, I love a, I love a, a tough project. So um, took it on and it's been a pretty incredible uh, journey, a uh, year and a half since I've been the GM here. Yeah, that's amazing. And obviously you're really good at what you do. And I know I've seen you, you were talking to Grant Wall recently and you're on the Cooligans podcast. You're definitely a big name in soccer because of what you do. And that's why I was so excited when you would come speak to us. So I appreciate that. And kind of going back on your journey a bit, like you said, you worked in Chicago and then the WNBA, could you see yourself working in men's sports again, or, you know, is women's sports really where you want to be? Yeah, I was, you know, never say never. I think, you know, I'm somebody that loves to to grow and be challenged and I love to learn. I'm, I'm going to be a lifelong learner. I always love to either take classes, teach classes. I like that process of learning and challenging myself. So I'm definitely not somebody that likes to stagnate. I'm probably not a lifer that's going to do a 15 year job. I shouldn't say that out loud, but <laughs> maybe I will. Um, you know, but, but I like that process. So I would never say never, but I certainly you know, my life's purpose is, has been really gender equity and looking at gender equality and how I can do that. I just happened to choose a really cool vehicle to do that, you know, in choosing women's soccer and sports. Um, I realized that I could have a, a cool life's purpose that's really meaningful, but also do it with a, a vehicle that's 
just a lot of fun. I love working in soccer. It's been a great ride. So, you know, being able to put a couple of my passions together and, and call that a job or a career, it's really a passion of mine and what I love to do. So um, I would never say never to it, but, you know, I also recognize that I really love what I do here. I love women's sports. I love the challenge of it. We have such a long way to go, but we need more advocates that are knocking at the door and, and pushing the boulder up the hill. Um, and I'm, I'm still willing to take on that role. Maybe when I get too tired to do it, I'll dip out for a little bit, but I, I love what I do right now. That's amazing. Kind of, there's two great points you made there that I was actually going to ask of you. So you're already ahead of me. The first one, you said you're a lifelong learner and obviously you're a professor who teaches sports business. Is that education something you've always wanted to do as well? Or did that kind of the opportunity came up and you didn't want to pass it up? Yeah, I, I don't, I never lay claim to the term professor. I feel like you have to have a doctorate to be called a professor, but I do appreciate when my students call me Professor LaHue. I was like, eh, I haven't earned that yet, but thank you. I'll take it. Um, but I do teach, um, I do teach a, a college course on um, uh, basically the, the finance of sports, um, sports business, um, the money side of it, I'll call it. Um, which has been really cool. I teach that through East Tennessee State University. And um, believe it or not, it was a friend that I made um, my first year of working in WPS. Natalie Smith was an operations manager for Sky Blue FC um, when I was in Chicago. And we became friends. Um, and we stayed, you know, lifelong friends along the way and followed each other's careers. And she ended up getting her doctorate, ended up going into teaching. And she had this opportunity come up and said, hey, do you have an interest in teaching? I know you have a master's degree, which is the requirement um, to teach um, undergrads. And I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty scary and awesome. I want to do that. So took it on a couple of years ago and I've really enjoyed it. So I, I teach this class every semester. It's been a lot of fun and it's actually really um, encouraged me personally to, to recognize my, my love of this and my love of teaching. Um, and I don't know everything about the game, but I can teach what I do now. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. And I definitely could see myself um, continuing in, in some kind of teaching role in the future. That's awesome. Um, the second point I was going to talk on is you kind of said, you know, women advancing the game and things like that with Angel City FC and all the women's investors who've come about. Do you think that women are the future of women's sports? Or do you see kind of there might be a shift where more male investors are going to come in, give money to these teams and help grow the game as well? Yeah, I, th I think the most important part is that we need diversity at the table. We need women at the table when we're talking about women's sports. I mean, how could you not? But you also need women at the table when you're talking about men's sports. So this really goes, for me, uh, across the spectrum. Um, now, we lack women in high-level roles in, in women's professional sports, at least within the NWSL. Um, you know, we don't have many women head coaches. Uh, Sky Blue is the only team that has a woman head coach in Freya Coombe. Um, I'm one of two women GMs across the league, you know, at the ownership level, it's pretty limited. Tammy Murphy is one of the owners here at Sky Blue. Um, but after that, it, it's a little limited. There's, there's a couple women here and there, but, you know, primarily it's been uh, a men's field to own professional sports teams. Um, I, I think we would have to go and dig in much deeper into probably more sociological questions about, you know, why don't women control more wealth in the world or in the United States? So that would, that would take this conversation way off the rails. <laughs> so I don't think it's necessarily always a lack of interest, but it, there's a truth to the fact that women typically don't control a lot of the wealth. We're still not, you know, dollar to dollar in jobs for men with men. Right. Um, so we'd have to dig much deeper into that. But I think there is certainly an interest in women 
working within the league, participating in some way. Maybe it's a minority ownership stake in the league. And that I hope we continue to see grow across the board in all positions. That to me is the biggest opportunity for growth within NWSL is having more women in high level positions because again, we need that diversity. We need people that look different. We need less homogeneity across the board. We need more people of, of color involved. Um, and I think as we start to do that, we're going to see more innovative ideas. We're going to see a better return on investment because we're bringing more interesting ideas to the table. So I hope to be along for that ride, um, you know, over the next couple of years as, as hopefully these things start to shift a little bit and we welcome more people into the table. Um, and I'm excited to see what that'll do for the future of the league. That's amazing. And going on growing the league, I have one last question for you. Obviously the Challenge Cup did so well. The final had 650,000 viewers. Even the fall series opener had almost 400,000 viewers. Do you think that kind of being able to have all this visibility in this weird place we're in in the world right now and having people viewing women's sports on TV, which obviously is the first step, put women's sports on TV. But do you see the league growing from here with that success, even just in viewership? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you can get on a major network, you're going to probably get some peripheral viewers that maybe don't know NWSL or are casual viewers that are tuning in. You know, when we're on, you know, say an app or somewhere you have to log in, you're probably going to get, you know, the diehard fans or the fan, you know, the real fans of women because you've got to go find it. Typically, it's been hard to find women's sports. So for those casual viewers, you know, being on something like a CBS, the major network, right? Not not a secondary or tertiary network, but actually like the main CBS, it's a really big deal. And we saw fantastic numbers. I mean, we opened up the fall series against um, the spirit and you mentioned almost 400,000 viewers. That's incredible. That actually blew away my own expectations because we had just announced that game that week um, that it was going to be on TV and um, you know, didn't have a lot of time to plan for it. It was Labor Day weekend, you know, in our market, everybody's going to the beach for one last hurrah. They're probably not sitting at home watching TV. So when the numbers came in, I was flabbergasted. I was, I was so happy about those numbers. And it just goes to show for me, you know, with a little more planning, a little more lead time, like what else can we do in women's sports if we have more time to prep, plan, you know, be on these major networks. Um, you know, I think a game over the weekend just beat those numbers again. Fantastic. It's, it's awesome. So yeah, I'm seeing such a tremendous growth in women's soccer. And I've been in this for, you know, over a decade now. Um, as I've been telling people lately, I feel more optimistic right now today than I ever have in, in women's pro soccer here in the U.S. Because of the investment we're seeing from broadcast networks, because of the investment we're seeing from sponsors, the way fans are being able to engage in ways they've never been able to engage before digitally. Um, you know, at a time when we can't maybe be in person, they're showing up digitally and they're still part of this club and they're helping, you know, drive the, the initiatives that we have. So I've never felt more optimistic for women's pro soccer than I literally do right, right now as I sit here. And I, again, can't wait to see what the next three to five years are going to bring. Awesome. That's everything from me. So Elise, thank you so, so much for your time. It was so lovely to talk to you. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Haley, and get well, Jordan. Yes, get well, Jordan. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much to Elise for joining me. It was so awesome to have her. If you want to follow her on Twitter, her at is at A-L-A-H-U-E. She's incredible. She's amazing. Go follow her. I know we say that about all of our guests, but truly, we have the best people on this podcast. We've been so blessed to have the guests that we've had in the last 21 episodes. Like when did we start having guests? I think episode like seven or eight. 
So we've had at least 10 amazing guests. We're so blessed. We love doing what we do. So thank you to Elise. Thank you to everyone who's been on the pod thus far. So it is a new dawn. It is a new day. Um, I had to run to work right after my chat with Elise. And then when I got home, I was very tired. So I went to bed. Here I am. Um, let's start with Candace Parker was named the defensive player of the year in the WNBA in her 13th year. What a queen. Absolutely. Um, she pretty much carried the sparks to where they were in the playoffs. Let's say there wasn't any other good players. Obviously you've got Chelsea Gray, you've got Neneke Aguimike. I think that's how you say it. I've tried to learn how to say it multiple times. Um, but Nobody likes their name being butchered, so NECA, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, in her 13th year, she was the Defensive Player of the Year, which is insane. The amount of blocks she's had is incredible. Um, you know, she puts up stat lines that are in history books in her 13th year. Like, it just, I can't get over it. Obviously, the playoff did not go the way Los Angeles wanted it. Um, but it is what it is. The games are super close now. Connecticut absolutely destroyed the Aces in game one. It wasn't even close. Game two was in the Aces' favor. Again, Asia Wilson carried the team, but Alyssa Thomas wasn't even playing. And Jasmine Thomas had a 30-plus point game in game one, and Alyssa Thomas was still the difference maker. And she wasn't playing in game two, and she's out for tonight. So, you know, obviously injuries happen. I – hate to be that person as a fan of a team. Connecticut's not my team, but just saying. Um, as a fan of a team, when you're always like, oh, if so-and-so wasn't injured, this would have been us. You, you can't rely on those coulda, shoulda, woulda situations. You should be able to produce the result you want with the talent you have. Like, obviously, the Warriors, like, yeah, they obviously didn't even make the playoffs this year. Oh, my goodness. Pardon me. Because they don't have – Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, like, yeah, I get that. But in the same breath, like, if that's all you need to win, the rest of your roster is like, if you get what I'm saying. That wasn't a complete sentence, but it's like, I don't know, your team should be good enough to produce with anybody on the floor. You shouldn't be relying on one or two players to consistently produce wins for you. Um, and Connecticut still stayed in the game. The Aces only won by, I think, seven or eight points. Um, and they destroyed the – the Sun destroyed the Aces by 20 points the game prior. So that says a lot. Um, Storm Links obviously got postponed because of some inconclusive COVID tests. I don't know what this hair is. Um, but now game two is being played on tonight. But it was a two-point game. So Sorry, I had to go to class. So, you know, Corona things. Um but yeah, Candace Parker, amazing. They just announced that um, Bednaya Laney was the most improved player of the year, which is amazing for her. Everyone knew that she was going to be, she became the only sixth, only the sixth player in WNBA history to average 17 points, 4.5 rebounds, 4 assists, and 1.5 steals per game. And the first since Maya Moore did it four years ago. So we love the WNBA. Can't wait for game two and three tonight. Links at Seattle is going to be wild. Um, obviously it's not at Seattle, they're in a bubble. But um, yeah, last game Minnesota was leading and then 
Seattle came back in the last minute. But Seattle was a title favorite at first, and now it's truly anyone's game. Like, the Sun are, have been doing amazing things. Dewana Bonner, um, Jasmine Thomas, Alyssa Thomas, you know, um, Brian January. So you've got options. Speaking of basketball, the walking bucket Tyler Harrow. Oh, my God. Like, I'm a Celtics fan, and even I'm, like, pay respects to the kid. 37 points. 37 points. It was still a close game. Obviously, the Heat are up 3-1, so the Celtics really got to reevaluate what they're doing right now. But 37 points in the game, which is insane. He had, like, 22 points last game. Even though game prior, he only had 11, but then he had, like, nine rebounds or something like that. So the kid is insane. So humble. He's like, I want to do this for Jimmy. Like, you know, give all the credit to Jimmy. And Jimmy's like, this kid literally does it all. And that just says how good of a person he is that he's trying to credit me. Um, and I said, it brings up the argument, you know, there's all these things that have always been said about Jimmy Butler, but has it been Jimmy or has it been the situation he's in? Because for the most part, Jimmy's always been put in situations where he's with other all-stars or young guns who have a little bit of an ego because they came from these big schools and they were so amazing. So it really does beg the question, is Jimmy the problem or has Jimmy been put in situations that were problem? But yeah, even like if the Heat win this series, I can't even be mad as a Celtics fan. Like Tyler Hero was 14, which is my favorite number too. So I'm like, chef's kiss. Happy for you, kid. Um, hockey. So, Steven Stamkos returned to the lineup for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Literally scored right away. Lightning won five to two. Um, I definitely, I said this a few years ago that I thought the Lightning should have won the cup. So now this year, really, it's like this is yours to lose. Um, not to say the Stars don't deserve it or should be where they are, but 100%, this is the Lightning's cup to lose. So, should be interesting. They now have a two to one lead. So if they win their next two, that's how math works. I don't know why I had to like specify that. <laughs> Anyways, child, big boobs. Uh, I need to get off TikTok. What else we got? The Premier League, Arsenal. They haven't let me down yet. I like, they almost did in that West Ham game, but I'm shocked, truly. Uh, Manchester United is doing absolute garbage. You love to see it. Um, Chelsea's losing. You love to see it. Um, I want Liverpool to have a downpool, a downpool, a downfall. I doubt they will, but I would love to see it. I just, this is Arsenal's year. Like we've had last year was such a rough year. We've had so many changes. We made some great signings. Gabriel William, like we've made the moves. Um, we didn't really pay that much because for a club with so much money, they don't spend it. They spend it on David Luiz and Ozil's contracts for why <laughs> but yeah just beat Leicester to nothing um we love to see it I keep saying um and I apologize it's hard to do this on your own like I always um poop on Colin Coward which I still will because his opinions sometimes are like off the rails um I don't know where he gets off but it's hard to think of things when you're on your own and you're just kind of talking to yourself I mean, I do talk to myself a lot, absolutely, when I'm home and I'm cooking or, like, doing my skincare routine, which is clearly not working right now. Um, yeah, I'm like, hey, guys, welcome back to my channel. I don't have a YouTube channel. 
I should start one with the amount I talk to myself, but I don't have one. <sighs> Breathe. Breathe. But yeah, um, I guess the last thing I'll end off on is that Ibrahimovic, um, I guess, tested negative for Corona one day and the next tested positive and tweeted out that he was going to like, not only just like beat the virus, but he's like, how could, what was it? I need to find it now. It was very cryptic, honestly. I was like, okay, you did this for who? For whomst? Um, but yeah, it was very odd. He said, I tested negative to COVID yesterday and positive today. No symptoms whatsoever. COVID had the courage to challenge me. Bad idea. Okay, sir. Um, that's weird. Also, as if I could forget about college football. That's really well, well, when she can't say a sentence. Um, college football is where we will truly end off. NFL football week two, Brown's got a win. Shout out Jordy. Um, obviously doing this is not as fun without her. Obviously I could talk sports all day long, but I love doing it with my best friend. So shout out Jordy. Her Brown's got a win. She's had to wait 10 days now until Sunday until they play again. Tonight, there's a night football battle of Florida. You've got the Miami Dolphins versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Both teams aren't very good. Like, even the Jaguars won one record. Like, you played the Colts to get that win. So, um, it's probably going to be a close game. I'm sure the Dolphins are going to lose again. Put Tua in. Put Tua in. Yeah. The Dolphins play Seattle next after this game, which is my team. Seattle's going to destroy them. Seattle beat the Patriots. It was so close. Cam Newton ran the ball on the one-yard line, got blocked, did not get in. It was 35-30 for the Seahawks. The Seahawks absolutely just let, like, the Patriots march down the field. Like, they literally were on their own, like, 20, and then they were just like, yep, first down, first down, first down, first down. It was embarrassing to watch. Definitely need to fix that for this week. But, yeah, shout out Jordy and her Browns. But college football. So the SEC's back. You love to see it today. UAB plays South Alabama. We love to see some good old Southern teams going at her. <laughs> but yeah, Big Time is coming back October 24th. It means so much to me. I'm so happy. There's some good, again, Florida. Florida's really heating it up for football this weekend. Uh, Miami versus FSU Saturday night. That'll be a good one. Um, I definitely think that the U is overhyped. I 100% will be the first person to tell you that the U is overhyped. First of all, they play in the ACC, which is easily the weakest Power 5 conference. Obviously, that doesn't take away from Clemson's success. Oh, she cannot say the words today. Um, That doesn't take away from Clemson's success because they've beat Bama. They've beat Ohio State. They beat the best of the best. You can be the best team and still play in a terrible conference. And that's my argument with the SEC sometimes. SEC fans just absolutely have their heads up Paul Feinbaum's rectum and just, like, don't see it. But um, no hate, no shade. Just he literally has his book called My Conference is Better Than Yours. Obviously, he's an SEC believer. Um, but the ACC is a trash conference. Um, and that's what makes me laugh about, like, UCF. Like, if you're that good and should be ranked and should be national champions, join the ACC. She's right there. Go say hello. Go beat out, like, Virginia Tech. They can go somewhere else. But Florida 100% is overhyped. They beat Louisville, who also has not been relevant since Lamar Jackson went there. So 
these teams are also ranked because there's no Pac-12 and no Big Ten right now. So half these teams would not be ranked under regular circumstances. Absolutely not. You're probably going to have four or five Big Ten teams ranked. You're going to have maybe two or three Pac-12 teams ranked. That's eight teams right there. Louisville was ranked 18th. You're out. Like, <laughs> it is what it is. I think Miami's overrated. Obviously, Florida State has been garbage since 2013. They literally were okay 2014, made the playoff, and then just, like, tanked from there. They went, like, six and seven the year after, I think, or something like that. They just have not been good since Jimbo, like, put that place up in flames. So, obviously, Miami's probably going to win, but I don't buy into the hype at all. Um, there's other games, nothing really too crazy, like Alabama's playing like some, like Southern Miss or Mizzou or something like that. Um, Georgia's playing Arkansas, like, you know, the games, and those are the games that are going to be a blowout, and that's where I'm like, okay, well, in the Big Ten, conference games sometimes are more competitive. Yes, you have Rutgers, like, I, I'm not going to ever defend Rutgers. (laughs) Yes, you have Rutgers, yes, you have Illinois, I get it, but, you know, you've got Arkansas, Vanderbilt, like, all those teams at the bottom, the talent gap in the SEC is much larger than the Big Ten is really the point I'm always trying to get across and people don't understand that. It's like, yes, the teams at the top of the SEC are amazing, except Georgia, who like always is ranked very high, but can never produce. Until their QB went to Ohio. I need to stop singing. Like People are going to cut out and be like, I did not ask for this. We did not ask for this. <laughs> But yeah, to me, obviously this is a personal opinion too. Like I'm not, nothing I say is Bible and people always try to like come from my throat. I'm like, well, A, I'm not going to change my opinion and B, it is what it is. But the talent gap in the SEC is so wide. The Big Ten, the talent gap, yes, Ohio State is better than everybody else, but they still have to play very tough teams. Whereas the SEC, you're going to play four tough teams in your conference. And then the rest of them is like, you're going to blow them up by 60. Whereas in the Big Ten, Honestly, there's probably, obviously there's Ohio State, and then there's about like eight teams who really could give anyone a run for their money, and then like Rutgers, Maryland, Illinois, even Maryland though, they like come out every once in a while, they're like, we're here, we're this conference, like, okay, I didn't forget about you, I didn't forget about you and your crab legs, (laughs) but yeah, that uh, is my opinion, also, I don't know if it was last year or the year before or something, but like, Georgia didn't even have to play Bama or LSU in their conference. So I was like, obviously they're going to go like 12 and 0 until the title game when they don't have to play the two hardest teams in their conference. And also Florida is meh. I also don't understand how Florida's in the SEC, but like every other Florida team is in the ACC. Well, never makes sense to me. But when you bring up Kentucky football as a rebuttal for why the SEC is good, that's when I, that's when you make no sense to me. Kentucky is a basketball school, okay? Even still, the SEC is not a basketball conference. They have some good teams. The ACC runs basketball. But, you know, Florida, I'm like, Florida can be okay sometimes, you know? Obviously, 2006, 2007, 2008, they were, like, running the show. So, Florida, you know, they kind of go up and down. I get it. But if you bring up Kentucky football to me as a rebuttal as to why the SEC is the best conference, that's how I know you don't know anything. Because Big Blue, I'm sorry, stick to the court. Stick to the court. And that doesn't mean they're not going to go, like, 8-4, and 9-3. and three. Like, y'all win those games and then lose to Georgia, LSU, Bama. Like, you know, I respect that. But 
absolutely, if you're going to put Kentucky as, like, why the SEC is better than the Big Ten, I want to see Kentucky and Penn State play. Let's do that. James Franklin, bring your boys. Let's go. I want to see that, and we'll settle it once and for all. Anyways, I could talk about college football for literally ever. Literally ever. It's my favorite sport in the entire world. It means so much to me that the Big Ten's coming back. Um, a lot of people are hating on the Big Ten being like, you left no room for error. Okay, well, if players get COVID and they're out, they're out. And that's the consequences they'll have to face. It is what it is. I don't think people are going to put themselves in a jeopardizing position. Obviously, nobody tries to contract COVID except for those people going to COVID parties. Like they, I'm not going to go on that topic. I'm not. Shut your mouth, Haley. But <laughs> the Big Ten coming back is amazing. Big 12 is continuing to be like literally the middle child, just like chilling there. It is what it is. The ACC and the Pac-12 are usually the bottom, but pac is not even playing. So ACC, you're the fourth out of five this year. Congratulations, you're not the worst because the other conference isn't even playing. But yeah, there's a game tonight. There's going to be games Friday night, Saturday, all day, big noon kickoff. Let's go. I love college football. Thank y'all for joining me. I almost said joining us. I miss my girl. But yeah, I'll stop rambling now because my throat hurts because I've been talking too much. Take care and we'll see you later.